Well, good morning. My name is Shane Sanders. Um, Janet and I have been members of this church for about 20 years now. Gosh, time goes by, doesn't it? And uh, I've been an elder at this church for 15 years or so. And so I've been asked to speak on parenting this morning. So let's talk about parenting. I know some of you may be past this point in your life, but hopefully there'll be some uh, good pointers here that we can apply maybe to our grandchildren or otherwise. And let me start by asking uh, this question. What are the most important things you want to pass on to your children? What do you want to see woven into the fabric of their character? What kind of men and women do you want them to become? You know, this morning I like to give an old-fashioned talk on parenting, a little bit like the old three R's of education. Remember what the three R's? It's really old school, right? R- reading, writing, and arithmetic. Now, you know that's old school because it's based on a sketchy, semi-phonetic spelling, right? <laughs> but I'm a big believer that the simplest truths are the most profound. <clears throat> Excelling at the basics will have the most impact. Take football, for example. What are the basics of football? Blocking, tackling, and end zone celebrations. No, wait, that last one is a hipster edition. Um, well, what are the three R's? Simply, for me, they are relationship, respect, and responsibility. And they necessarily include faith, agape love, and obedience. <clears throat> And if you build these into your kids, they can live rich and fruitful lives. So what does Proverbs 22, 6 say? Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And how about Proverbs 29, 17? Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Now let me start by reading a little bit of a a longer passage out of uh, Proverbs 4. don't have it up on the board here because it was a little long. Hear, O sons... A father's instruction and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Skip down to verse 10. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Teach your children the way of wisdom, for she is your life. And what is wisdom? It's skillful living based and derived from the knowledge of God. True? Well, what exactly, though, is a proverb? I just read you a bunch of proverbs. What is a proverb? Well, proverbs are short, pithy statements uh, stating a general truth or a piece of advice. They're not a promise, and they're not absolutes. They're maxims of wisdom. They're simple yet profound. And that's what I hope to share this morning based on my own understanding, my own application of the Scriptures, uh, and my own personal experiences. Uh, And, of course, all this is by the grace of God. Uh, I I don't claim expert status here. (laughs) Uh, I'm not a blue blood. I don't have the right pedigree. Uh, We weren't perfect parents. We didn't have perfect parents. Um, And there are a lot of modern theories on parenting, right? And some contradict some of the past respected theories. There's no guarantees in parenting, right? Uh, But the proof's in the pudding to some degree. How'd they turn out? Um, now, I may ramble a bit here, so bear with me as we, as we kind of cruise through a, a number of different experiences and, and principles and things that I've learned through the years that I'll simply pass on to you for what they're worth. 
Now, I'll say this too, that as Americans, I think we're all mutts, right? <laughs> we're all sort of an amalgam. None of, us are, none of us are perfect. We didn't have, like I said, perfect parents. We won't be perfect parents. In fact, I'll tell you a little bit about my own background. Uh, I am the adopted son of an adopted son. My father uh, was found in an abandoned home in Amarillo, Texas in 1930. <clears throat> and he was adopted by my grandparents who were not able to have children of their own. He was very jaundiced. They didn't think he'd survive. Uh, years later, he married my mother after we had been abandoned when I was two years old, <clears throat> and right after the birth of my baby sister. And so he gave me his name. He raised me as his son. I've always called him dad. He passed away a year ago this week, in fact, at age 92. Um, I also had uh, a maternal grandfather, my, my mother's father, John Evans. My father's name was Paul Sanders. Um, my, my grandfather's name was John Evans. He just died 10 years ago at age 100. <clears throat> Uh, he was also like a father to me. Uh, we spent a lot of time together, and he invested quite a bit in me as well. Um, you know, my mother took us to church. She provided for us. She loved us. She disciplined us. My grandmother, Kathleen, my mother's name is Carolyn. She's still alive. My grandmother, uh, who died within eight days of my grandfather. Um, you, you know, classic grandmother gushed over you, spoiled you. Man, I really miss her. Um, but my parents were old school. It was about discipline and respect and responsibility, although there was a lot of love, a lot of encouragement, a lot of, a lot of support. But my dad was tough. But I always, I always respected the fact that he chose me, much like God chooses us. He didn't, he didn't have to adopt me, but he did. And it's kind of funny as I look at my own background, too. And, and I could point to a number of older men who invested quite a bit in me when I was a younger man. Uh, mentors and men who discipled me, Mark Day and Ford Madison, over a long period of time. Um, and so ironically, on my mother's side, I can trace my lineage all the way back to Jamestown in the early 1600s. But on my dad's side, uh, I simply have his name. Isn't that funny? But I have his life invested in me as well. Um, you know, we all have warts in our background. There are no blue, true blue bloods here. Even Jesus, if you read his lineage, um, you know, in Matthew 1 and in Luke 3, you'll see there's a number of kind of different characters in his background, right? Uh, although he himself is perfect in every way. But I suppose I should start by stating my own parenting credentials, right? We're going to talk about parenting. I, hopefully I have at least been a parent. I have. Uh, Janet and I have been married for 41 years. We have three adult children, Stuart, age 36, Daniel, age 34, and Susanna, age 30. Um, Stuart has been married for about 13 years now. He is the senior pastor at uh, Faith Bible Church in McKinney. He has four children. They're a lot of fun to be around, and they take a lot of work. <laughs> My second son, Daniel, is a doctor. He's an anesthesiologist, pain specialist, also in McKinney by accident. Uh, he has two children. Um, they're very active in their church, Parkway Bible Church up in McKinney as well. And my daughter is 30. She just got married last um, May and uh, to, to Will, who is uh, a great guy, godly man. They're real involved at uh, Watermark up in Dallas and have been, real involved in small groups and a lot of their own ministries. And so is my second son, Daniel. Um, so they were all here at Thanksgiving, right? All the kids, grandkids, six grandkids, three kids and their spouses. So that's six and six. That's, that's a lot of people to feed, isn't it, over four or five days. And I, I have to say it took Janet and I probably three, four, five days, maybe no, several weeks to recover <laughs> from that. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Uh, it really was. Um, so again, let me say, I don't claim to have all the answers here, but I have been in the arena and I have the scars to prove it. <clears throat> So I'll share from my own background experiences and what my understanding of the scriptures are. I'm going to tell you there are many aspects to parenting. There are, obviously. And I've only got 30 minutes or so. So, you know, I'm just going to share a few highlights here. But I'm going to say that there are three that top my list 
uh, and they're indispensable. Uh, the first one would be relationship uh, with parents and Christ, uh, respect for God and parents, and responsibility for attitudes and actions. Now, some of you may be thinking that I am channeling Grant's uh, fondness for alliteration, but I'm really actually tracking with the three R's. But it's okay. I have been, Grant and I have been friends for a real long time. But let's, start, let's go to the first R, relationship with parents in Christ. We love because God first loved us. That's pretty basic, and that's, that's pretty simple. We know that. I flip over to 1 John 4, uh, 10, and 11, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then verse 19, we love because He first loved us. Now, the same is true for our children. We love them before they understand it or they appreciate it or they, they even know we're doing it, don't they? And if we do, they will know love, they will have love, and they'll ultimately have love for us and for others and for God. Um, but if we don't initiate with them and show them love first, then they'll grow up stunted and deprived, won't they? See, God initiated with us, and we initiate with our children. But nothing exposes, in my opinion, a person's innate self-centeredness like having children. True? They're hard work for a long time, and you've got to learn to deny yourself for their benefit and their welfare, and that's real love. You know, but we live in an age of self, of self-fulfillment, of self-actualization. It's about my career, my health, my happiness, my fulfillment. And so our kids are ignored because mom and dad are too busy seeking their own advancement, their own accomplishments, their own self-centered goals. And I'm speaking to all of us as moms and dads here. Our careers and our hobbies are not more important than our children. They're not. Now just compare them for a minute. What could you possibly do with your life uh, and in your career that's more important than raising, nurturing, and training a child, a human being, to be a mature, healthy, well-rounded adult person. What could you do? Practice law? Practice medicine? Build a business? Earn a fortune? Run the world? <laughs> no, nothing comes close. Nothing comes close. But it's a hard, it's a thankless, it's a costly job to raise children properly. And we adults and parents establish and maintain loving relationships with them primarily for their benefit and for their growth. And we initiate with them. In other words, what else could you possibly invest your life in that has so much value as the growth and training of another human being? Wait a minute. That's the basic goal of discipleship, isn't it? Yeah, we start by discipling our own children. Now, those relationships take a lot of time. Over many years, you'll have to die to yourself if you hope to succeed at parenting. But there's a great amount of joy along the way, isn't there? Uh, talk to your kids, have fun with your kids, build memories, spend time with them, invest in them, because let me tell you, from experience, it goes by a whole lot faster than you think. You know, when you're in the middle of it, you think, this is going to last forever. I'm not going to survive tomorrow, much less the rest of today. But I promise you, you look up, and they're grown, and they're gone, just like that. Um, now I'm going to stop right here and I'm going to brag on Janet, my wife. I'm going to tell you that she very well may be the greatest mother of all time. She really, and I, I say that without any, any sense of bias at all. And, and the reason I, you know, for example, some of the things she used to do first day of school every year, she'd get all the kids, get them all dressed, get them on the front porch and take their picture. 
And then at the end of that day, she'd take them out to get ice creams. Uh, she was always making a big deal out of their birthdays, you know, eat off of special plates. We always had theme birthday parties for everything we did. She was at all their events, all their plays, all their sporting events. Um, um, she loved them profusely, but she disciplined them promptly. Uh, she knew all their friends. They hung out at our house all the time. We knew what they were into. Uh, just on and on and on I could go. And so I, I had been extraordinarily blessed by her as the mother of my children, honestly. Now, let me say this too, though. Uh, after relationships with parents, relationship with Christ is, is huge, isn't it? And so it goes without saying that the most important thing that you'll ever teach your children is about Jesus, right? Who he is, king, savior. Uh, what he's done, he died for us. He forgave us of our sins. He offers us heaven through salvation, through his finished work. What we've done, our sin, our rebellion, what we deserve, judgment and death. Jesus is holy, but Jesus loves us. Uh, we remember what John uh, 1.12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believed in his name. And Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We're saved by grace through faith. And it's faith alone in what Christ's done, his finished work on the cross. There's no works to get it, no works to maintain it. I can't earn it. I can't lose it. But don't take for granted that just because you took them to church and just because you took them to camp and just because they went to Sunday school, that they have their own genuine, real, and personal faith. You are their parent. You invest in them. You share all this with them. You guard and, uh, the influences in their life, and you are the primary influence in their life. But coach your kids to develop their own faith, to walk in it. Don't take it for granted or overlook it or just assume they believe. And model and teach personal, regular time in the Word and in prayer, both through your personal devotional time and in family devotional times. Nature abhors a vacuum, doesn't it? People will generally learn to rely on one of three things. Either God and His Word, two, self and pride, or three, which is a combination, culture, philosophy, or science. Basically, humanism, something out there other than God Himself. Um, so teach them instead of Proverbs, the reality, the truth of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. Learn to trust Him, to lean on Him, to rest your entire weight against His support, not yourself, not anything else. Believe and rely on God's Word and God's promises, uh, not on the circumstances, not on what you see, but on what God says, what He's promised, who He is, whether things are good or bad. Amen? All right, let's, uh, let's turn to point number two, the second R, respect, respect for God and parents. There are innumerable verses on the issue of the fear of the Lord uh, and its primacy in our lives. Let me cite just a few. Uh, Proverbs 9 and 10. I'm sorry, Proverbs 9 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 19.23, another one. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And there are lots and lots of verses that speak to the fear of the Lord, aren't there? So it's very important, though, that we understand what the term fear means in this context. Fear of the Lord refers to respect, reverence, awe, honor, 
and acknowledging his power and position as almighty God. And in a very real sense, it means fear. (laughs) The fear of God's strength. Um, The fear of his holiness, of his omnipotence, of his glory. In a good way, in a healthy and real way. What does the first commandment say? Now, many of your translations will say, you shall have no other gods before me, as though there are a whole lot of them as long as I'm number one. No, what that really means is you shall have no other gods besides me. I'm it. I'm the only God in existence. I'm the only God there is. Exodus 20, verse 3, and Deuteronomy 5, 7. And so teach your children to fear the Lord, but also to love the Lord, to love God. Let's talk about that for a minute. Let's flip over to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. This is a pretty famous passage, um, and you're going to recognize it here when I start reading it. I'm going to read just a few verses, verses 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Now, this was called the Shema, which in Hebrew means here, which is the first word of verse 4. Hear, O Israel. <clears throat> and this was by far the most quoted and copied scripture passage in Judaism. It is the basic confession of the Jewish faith, recited twice daily by devout Jews, along with, of course, Deuteronomy 11, 13 to 21, and Numbers 15, 37 to 41, that speak to these same issues. Now, fast forward a few hundred years, uh, where a lawyer, lawyer's always the bad guy in the scene, right, decides he's going to question Jesus um, to to try to really humiliate him and show he doesn't really know what he's talking about. So he says, all right. Uh, and I'm in Matthew 22. I'm just going to paraphrase it. 22, 35 to 40. What's the greatest commandment in the law? What does Jesus say? He goes straight to the Shema and quotes it, doesn't he? See, and I'm going to paraphrase it though. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole being. He says that, doesn't he? Now, in the New Testament there, the Greek word is agape. We're familiar with that term, or it's actually it's a variation of that. I'm giving you the transliterated version, agape. Let's just use that one. Um, what does agape mean? Because, you know, and I've given this talk before, there are, when we use the word love in English, we mean a lot of things. Often it's an emotional term or a romantic term or sensuality. That's not what agape means. Uh, agape means primarily honor, respect, esteem, devotion. It seeks the highest good of another. It's a term of judgment and choice. Uh, it's not a feeling or an emotion. It's self-sacrificing, it's Christ-centered, and it's not self-centered. See, this is what we want to cultivate in our children, agape love for God and for parents. Amen? Yeah. Now, this may sound harsh. I know some of you aren't going to believe me on this, but kids are by nature selfish and rebellious. (laughs) Really? Uh, They have a rebellious, independent spirit. And you've got to deal with it, and you've got to learn to address it. I remember when my oldest son, Stuart, was two, right after we'd had Daniel, <laughs> and, and Janet was going to take him somewhere, first time out of the box, he looks and goes, wait, we have to take him with us? <laughs> and, and that selfish attitude comes out right away when you hear this, not my toys, you know, and you, you pull your toys over, you don't let your other siblings play with anything that's yours, right? Yeah, these are mine. 
And, and let me say that you teach your children to respect you and those in authority. They don't do it naturally. You teach it to them. Remember what the fifth commandment says. Honor your father and your mother. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 12, Deuteronomy 5, 6, but also Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, where Paul says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Remember the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. The first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you throughout the course of your life. Now, see, they don't understand these things at first. Uh, they learn to obey because you simply tell them to. Over time, as they grow up, you explain more to them why and why. Uh, why. Um, but let me just say this too. You don't negotiate with your children. You don't coddle your children. If you do, you will regret it later. I've seen it. I've seen it many times. Uh, they learn... They need to learn respect for elders and those in authority, starting with the Lord and then mom and dad. <laughs> Another funny story when I was a kid. Uh, and my dad, my dad was uh, <clears throat> pretty old school. Uh, I was a little bit different from him in, in that respect. But you always showed respect to him, always. <clears throat> um, and, and, and you even in your attitude and the way you spoke to him, you didn't, you didn't speak with a smart aleck attitude and and I saw other kids that would get away with that. I thought, man, I would never even consider doing that. And we were at a, we were at a, uh, a family vacation with cousins, aunts and uncles, and I had a, uh, a cousin that started popping off to my dad. I thought, oh, you should stop. You should stop real quick because he's eventually going to, and, and, and she kept going because she could get away with that with her dad. <clears throat> Finally, he bent down in her face and he says, you don't talk to me like that little girl, only said it a lot gruffer. I mean, she just burst into tears and ran out of there like, I tried to tell you. Yeah, you can, I don't know who you talk to, but you do not talk to my father that way, ever. <laughs> um, and, you know, as I got older, uh, we, we, all face the, we all face this with people in authority over us, whether it's your father, whether it's a boss, whether it's a judge that I'm standing in front of. And an important lesson I learned from another, one of the guys who discipled me, he says, you know what, as you get older, you have the right to appeal, but you never have the right to rebel. You never have the right to be disrespectful, uh, but you do have the right to appeal. That is to respectfully state your case. And I can say that as a lawyer from time to time when I have to stand in front of a judge and then point out an error he's made in a ruling, I promise you I'm real respectful about that because if I'm disrespectful or I get arrogant, he's going to hold me in contempt. And plus it's just not the right way to act. And he's actually more likely to listen to me if I do show respect and then point out the authority in certain ways. And I've had judges say that. Okay, I see what your point. I see your point, but I don't see it that way, so I'm going to rule against you. Well, I can, I can accept that. Speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15. There's this balance. Speak the truth in love as you get older. And teach your kids to do that. Um, you can say difficult things if you do it with respect. Teach that to your kids. You know, I could, I could point to you First uh, Thess 5, 12 through 13, Hebrews 13, 7, and verse 17, Romans 13, 1 and 2, and Titus 3, 1. Those passages all speak to the importance of showing uh, parents, elders, leaders in the church, and those in authority in the government respect. Really? Wow, I'm supposed to show respect? I'm supposed to be subject to the leaders in the church and the governing authorities? Submit? Yes, even if your leader is a mad king like King Saul, right? In 1 Samuel, wait a minute, wait, 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 stop here. Don't I have an inalienable right to rebel against a mad king? Isn't that somewhere written in our history? I'm an American. 
Well, let's take a look at that real quick. This will be another whole talk, so I won't, I won't spend long on it. But sometimes God puts a King Saul in your life to kill the King Saul in your heart. That was the lesson of Tale of Three Kings, a book we studied in our men's group a few years ago. Uh, God put him in your life. He can take him out in a heartbeat. So if he's there, there's a purpose that he will use him for in your life. Yeah. Let me ask this question. Does Scripture ever sanction a rebellious spirit or rebellion? Hmm. Let's take a look at 1 Samuel 15, 23. And this is Samuel talking to King Saul after he failed to fully follow God's instructions to him. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft or divination, and stubbornness or arrogance is as iniquity and idolatry. That's a strong verse. Rebellion is like witchcraft or divination. That is to say, resorting to an alternative source of power besides the one uh, invested in the authority over you. Hmm. And stubbornness or arrogance is like sin and idolatry to God. Did David ever rebel against Saul? Did he ever rebel? Did he have some chances? He sure did. First Samuel 24 and in 26, he was delivered right into his hands. Could have knocked him off. He knew he was the next anointed king and he could have taken over right there. But both times, what did he say? Never, never will I lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. What does that tell us about respect for authority established by God? Starting with parents, starting with teachers, those in authority, even mad kings. Do we have mad kings in our day? We sure do. We got a lot of them <laughs> because we've decided we're the king and we run ourselves, sort of, right? All right, let's talk about the third R. The third R, responsibility for attitudes and action. And there I'm going to go to uh, Matthew 12. And these are, these, are some, these are some tough verses that speak to the issue of accountability. Uh, so here Jesus is speaking in uh, Matthew 12, 35. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. Okay, that's the setup premise. And here's the key verse, verse 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Romans 14, 12 says, So then each of us will give account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 says, we, For we must all appear, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, these passages speak to the issue of personal responsibility for your actions or accountability. There are consequences for actions. Now, there's really no false reality. You will account to God for everything you say and everything you do. Now, here's a story when I was a kid. Um, when I was young, late elementary school and through junior high, I could walk home you know, a 10, 15-minute walk. Back in the old days when you could walk uphill both ways in the snow, right, barefoot, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, I was bringing my report card home to show to Dad. Um, and I had pretty good grades, but it was, like, it was like a death march for me because there was that X on behavior. Talks too much in class. But, oh, man, I'm dead. I'm dead when I get home. It ain't going to matter that I made almost straight A's. <laughs> 
I got an X in bad behavior, and he's going to be all over me for that. And he was, and I paid the price. <laughs> but I managed to address the issue later. I went to law school and put it to good use. So, <laughs> and learned to shut up in class <laughs> more. Uh, you know, there was, another, there was another incident a few years later when I was in high school. Uh, some of you may not know this, but my original career goal was to be a rock star. I know, I know, it's hard to believe. And so we were trying out for the talent show uh, in high school. And I borrowed a friend's set of drums that we used to try out. And, of course, we didn't make the show because we stank. That's okay. Um, but, you know, at the time I thought, yeah, I, I'll get these drums home someday. We'll see. I left them in the band hall. They sat there for weeks and weeks. And finally the guy calls me back and says, hey, I want my drums back. I said, okay. I couldn't drive. I was a sophomore. So I finally get a friend to take me take the drums back. But when I go pick them up, all the skins had been torn, had been damaged, had been sitting there so long, had been moved around so much. I thought, oh, great. I'm dead now because back then I was wasting money having to replace drum skins on a bunch of these guys' drums. When my dad found out, oh, oh it was an ugly thing. <laughs> and, and I heard about it for a long time, and I had to work it all off. You know, he, he fronted the money to do it because back then it was a fairly expensive thing, and I didn't have a job at the time. Um, but I began to really learn about personal responsibility for my actions. Um, <clears throat> Listen, character development is everything. I used to tell Stuart, my, my oldest son Stuart was a big uh, sports star. He played football, baseball, basketball. He did real well. I loved watching him, and he got a lot of attention, and it used to really worry me because I used to tell him often, I Stuart, I love to watch you play. I really do. But I'm far more interested in your character than I am your talent. Far more interested in your character, the development of your character, than the development of your talent. I don't care if you never play another down because you're going to be through these sports one day anyway. But that character is going with you, and that's who you are. Um, so we spent a lot of time talking about that. You know, I, I, it was real important for Jen and I. We didn't want any Eddie Haskells in our family. You know who Eddie Haskell is? He looks real good to the parents, <laughs> but he's really a chump, <laughs> you know, and a jerk behind the scenes. Or the more modern vernacular, the Home Alone too. We didn't want any Buzz. You know, Buzz looks real good in front of his parents, but he's really a real jerk. Yeah, I did, I, we didn't want that. We wanted our kids to be authentic and real, and we want to know who they were. Um, and, and here's another thing, too. There was no taking the kids' side over teachers or other adults. If someone came to us and said, your son did this or that, we believed them immediately, and they got in double trouble. They'd already gotten in trouble once. You came home with that, you got in trouble again. It wasn't, we didn't take him up there and begin defending him and say, well, oh, come on, you guys are too hard on my son or this. No. But you see that a lot now. And that's why I said this is, <laughs> this is an old-fashioned talk on parenting because you don't hear these kinds of things much anymore and we're paying a price as a result, I think, in a, lot of, in a lot of different ways. But discipline needs to be appropriate, doesn't it? It needs to be appropriate. Loss of freedom will work, or at times when they're younger, appropriately, pain. Pain is good at times. And you know what? The other thing is that you don't always bail them out when something goes wrong. Uh, but, but you want to help them as well. Uh, you need to let them experience the consequences of their actions. Now, my son, my second son, Daniel, was, he was a great kid. He was so easy to raise. He was such a good kid, straight-A student, you know, valedictorian, the whole nine yards. Um, but he'd occasionally get out of line, and so he takes the family van over to his friends one day, and he thought he'd be real cute when he, he'd rip in and park real fast, you know, and slammed into the curb and bent the frame in the family van. I thought, ah, great. So, well, Daniel, you're going you're gonna to get to work and pay this off. And here we're going to come up with a schedule of all these different work chores you're going to do and things you're going to do. He was, I guess, I forget where he was. I, obviously, he could drive 16. It was in the middle of school year, so we didn't have a job. So 
I kept coming up with all kinds of things for him to do, and we were working him to death. I thought, man, he's never going to pay this off. So I let him suffer for a good long time and pay off a good chunk of it. And then I, then I stepped in and, and worked with him and kind of paid off the difference. So it's not, not beneath you either to get in to help your kids, right? You know, I have an older sister, Debbie, too, and a younger sister, Allison, two years younger, older sister who's eight years older. And uh, we were kids in the 60s and 70s. I'm sure a number of you are as well. So times were a little wild back then, weren't they? in the 60s and in the 70s, and uh, we, we got to talking one day, this is many years ago, because my dad had a number of friends that we would go hang out with a lot, and they were very godly men. Our dad was pretty rough around the edges in places, but his friends were really godly guys and, and just wonderful to be around, they had a lot of kids, and, uh, but all those kids kept getting in trouble, or a lot of them, not all, a number of them did, and had just all kinds of issues in, in the high school and college years. And we started talking one day, saying, why is it we didn't have any of these issues? And, uh, you know, we, we didn't come from a perfect family. Um, but these, these other kids of our dad's friends, they have all kinds of difficult issues. And we decided, it was a pretty easy answer, uh, we were held accountable for our actions. Just basic discipline on a lot of fronts. It really was just that simple. You know, let me, let me say this, too, that as you're, as, you're, as you're raising your children, especially as they get older, challenge their thinking, how they think, what they think about. Help them learn how to make good decisions. Teach them how to discern between good and bad, wise and foolish, right and wrong. Uh, teach them and model for them good judgment. Talk to them, listen to them, interact back and forth. Here's another example, Stuart. When Stuart was a... Uh, junior in college, and, and by this time he was working at a school as a coach, uh, paying some of his expenses. Um, and uh, he, you know he was he had about a year and a half to go or so. And he came home and he said, "Dad, you know, I think I'm." And he was living with a bunch of his friends in a house and they had a yard. He said, "Dad, I believe that it's time that I get my own dog. I, I, I want to just run this by you, and I'd like to get my own dog." And I said, "Well, Stuart, a dog is a luxury, especially when you're in college." So if you're telling me you have enough money to pay, he was like, I've got the money, I can pay for the food, the vaccination, etc. I said, well, that's great. If you're telling me you have enough money for that luxury, then you need to start paying your light bill and for your books and for necessities. See, necessities get paid before luxuries come in. He's like, huh? <laughs> I got that, but, but he got it. Uh, and he got it so well that I've heard it in a sermon illustration in the last year or two he used when he was talking on a, on a subject. Um, so... Um, let, me, let me read a couple other passages, though, on this topic in James 1, dealing with attitudes and actions. James 1, 14 and 15 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Yeah, that's a tough one. And then also Galatians 6 7 and 8, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Bad attitudes lead to bad actions and sinful actions and the consequences that flow from them. That's what these passages speak to, and I've seen that a lot. God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow, whether to the flesh or to the Spirit. And so I've always been a big believer in following the Barney Fife method. Remember who Barney Fife is and Andy Griffith? What he used to say, 
You got to nip it. You got to nip it in the bud. Deal with it while it's only an attitude before it leads to a bad action later if you can. And it's hard work to stay on top of, uh, of your kids' attitudes and actions, isn't it? But if you do, it will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Pay attention to who their friends are, to the shows they watch, the music they listen to, the movies they go to, who they hang out with, what they think about, what they're interested in. All of these affect their attitudes and ultimately their actions. I know from experience, I spent many a late night with a couple of my sons on a variety of issues. And it was funny, years later, after Stuart had gotten married and was in his first job, he came home one day and he said, Dad, you were right. And I said, okay, about what? What are you talking about? He goes, everything. I said, well, I know that's not true, Stuart. What he meant was, thank you for, thank you for staying on top and sticking with me because... He was the one kid who bounced all over the walls and, and, and pushed the envelope a little bit. He never got in any real trouble, but he, he was close. He could have, um, and, and he didn't. And so, well, when you hear something like that from your adult son after years of, of staying in the trenches with him, then it, it really goes a long way. And, and I have to remember uh, and remind myself, uh, I'm the parent. He was the child, and this is not a popularity contest. I'm not trying to be your buddy, and I'm not trying to be a Disney dad. I'm trying to do what's best for you, what's in your best interest, and not what makes me likable or you happy. And it's a little bit similar to the old Tom Landry quote, and I've heard this a number of different ways, but here's the way I like it. Leadership. Leadership is the ability to get a person to do what he doesn't want to do in order to achieve what he's always dreamed of. Isn't that good? Leadership is the ability to get a person to do what he doesn't want to do by nature, right? Work out, exercise, practice in order to achieve what he always wanted to achieve. It's getting the best out of people. See, I care far more for how you ultimately turn out than whether or not you like me right now. Because <laughs> there were times when my kids, especially as teenagers, didn't like me a whole lot. Um, but, but at the same time, let me balance that off with, we're going to have a lot of fun together. We're going to take a lot of trips together. We did. We took a lot of trips together. We had a lot of fun together. Uh, and I used to tell my kids, I am your biggest fan. You will have no bigger fan than me. I'm for you. I want to see you succeed. And no matter what, I'll always love you. No matter what happens, I'll always love you. I am your biggest fan. And so, you know, of course, at times when you do have to discipline them, you want to restore the relationship. Show them grace when they fail and when they fall and build them up. Reaffirm their identity in Christ, their value, and that they're loved. Reset the standards of excellence and inspire them to greatness. Very much like what Jesus did with Peter. Remember, he failed three times, didn't he? And so three times he had him tell him he loved him, didn't he? John 21, 15 to 17. Let me conclude with this. Third John 4, John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And very much like that, Paul, in 1 Thess 2, 7 through 20, would say, starting in verse 8, he says, So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you've become very dear to us. In verse 7, he compared that to, I was like a nursing mother to you. And then down, down in verse 11 and 12, he said, We were like an exhorting, disciplining father to you. And why? Why did we do this? So that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And then skip down to verse 19 and 20. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Isn't it getting to see you in the presence of Jesus Christ 
at his coming for you are our glory and joy. That's what he said to his spiritual children. Do we live like that for our children? Do we invest our lives in them? May God grant us the grace and the strength to do so. Amen. Let's pray.